This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, PWI senior writer Al Castle, joined once again by my co-host, PWI contributing writer Brian Tallman. How's it going, Brian? Doing great, Al. Hope everything is okay with you, too. Yes, yes. Uh, back once again. Uh, lots to talk about in a little bit. Uh, again, th- there's a handful of names who have been on my wish list uh, since we started this podcast, God, what is it now? Six years ago, I think. Uh, and uh, that can't be right. Maybe it is. Wow. Uh, and near the top of that list or at the top of that list has been Dean Malenko, who has like this kind of reputation in Pro Wrestling Illustrated uh, because of his ranking uh, number one back in 1997 in the PWI 500. I think fair to say probably the most controversial number one ranked roster we ever had. The other would probably be The Miz, who we had on the podcast uh, early on talking about it. So now we get to hear uh, from Dean talking about it. And uh, it was a lot of fun. He he talks a bit about some of the ribbing he got backstage uh, from it, what, whether he thought he deserved number one um, and uh, whether he took it. He kind of talks about it sort of maybe being a, a backhanded compliment because I think the magazine at the time was pretty upfront in saying – he was sort of the de facto number one because nobody else really stood out that year. So, <laughs> yeah. yes, I remember that. Yep, that that was very backhanded. Yeah. Yeah. So a little bit of faint praise, uh, but you know, and, and before talking to him, I you know I, I did some research about that year. He had a hell of a year. That's one thing that maybe people uh, forget. You know, he may not not have the reputation uh, of some of the big stars. Um, who have topped the 500 in the past, but man, he was a, a heck of a talent now working backstage in AEW in a coach's role. We talk a lot about uh, that too. So uh, absolutely a fun conversation. Stay tuned for that. Um, Brian, you and I are going to talk a bit about uh, WWE. Uh, Roman Reigns, I think we're, we're both really big fans of what we've been seeing out of him uh, lately uh, in a bit and uh, some more current events. Uh, but right now, let me tell everybody about the current issue of PWI. It is the 30th annual PWI uh, 500. It's been a long time since Dean Malenko uh, topped it. This year, John Moxley tops it. He is on the cover of the magazine, number one ranked wrestler. And uh, again, you know, uh, we say this a lot, but but if there is one issue to get all year, um, I think this is it. The PWI 500 really is kind of our calling card. And um, I think very much a, a different look and tone this year under the leadership of Kevin McElvaney, our new uh, editor-in-chief. Uh, it's been a few weeks since we've talked about it. Uh, Brian, what, if any, feedback have you gotten about the 500? Um, well, you know, it's not to toot my own horn. I say this every time, but <laughs> every, everybody seems to really be in favor of Moxley, I would have to say except for a handful of people that will say, you know, I kind of think Jericho should have had that spot to which I will always respond. Well, that's who my pick was, but I got <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. You know, wh- wh- I, I have been surprised. I don't want to say negativity, but I've seen um, some sentiment of uh, PWIs in bed with AEW. How much did, you know, they pay you for, for this, that, that kind of thing. So uh, we're like Meltzer, basically <laughs> Meltzer and us, we're totally, you know, in the pocket of Tony Khan. That's what's yeah, happening. We're corrupt dirt sheet writers. 
but that's man, what they I, used to say, by the way, they used to say that in the old days about uh, Jim Crockett and WCW that they owned PWI because they were, you know, they were always like giving them better coverage than WWF. Like nothing ever changes, you know. I know, I know. Well, you know, at, at the time, I, th- I think it uh, not that it was ever true, but but at least they could point to the fact that uh, I do think that there were times where we had better access. Certainly when WWE, uh, WWF at the time wasn't working with uh, the Pro Wrestling Illustrated family magazines at all because they were running their, their own magazine, um, there, there was, uh, that was just reality, right? I mean, one company was giving you access and one uh, wasn't. But no, I mean, anybody who would even, you know, entertain that idea now is is a fool. Uh, just look at Moxley's year. That's the only thing you got to point out. I mean, uh, and and look, we, we all know this is showbiz, uh, but the reality is AEW booked their champion, their top star, a lot stronger than WWE booked anybody um, in, on their side. Now you could bring up, you know, Japan and some others. The other thing about this year uh, is it's just weird, right? I mean, that that was my take on it was with COVID and, and all that and, and a lot of these companies being essentially shut down for about a third of the evaluation period. Um, a lot of, of our usual criteria were out the window. And uh, but but either way, I mean, Moxley was undefeated in singles matches uh, in, in AEW hell. I think still holds both uh, a, a title in, in AW and a title in, in New Japan. Um, yes. so, yeah, he was the, the I think the clear consensus number one. Uh, maybe not well, consensus I, with you around. <laughs> well, no, I I think that the other thing though that makes people always say that AE that that PWI is in the pocket of AEW is just the fact that AEW actually acknowledges us on the mm-hmm. air while WWE never does, but that, but that's just a WWE policy. Like, 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 you know, they'll have WWE will have, you know, uh, courtesy of pro wrestling illustrated or things like that. And I know Stu did an interview for one of their documentaries and things, but for the most part, like in the body of the show, like they would, they would never mention PWI, whereas AEW does. And, yeah. you know, that's just company policy. That doesn't mean that, that we're, we're showing preference to one or the other. I'm sure that PWI would love it if, if WWE would give them the, the kind of, uh, on, you know, on air nod that AEW does. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 um, I should say, uh, WWE, very cooperative uh, uh, these days. I think we enjoyed a really good working relationship with them. Um, Which is great. Yep. I, I just uh, uh, interviewed one of their top stars. I, I won't name it now. Uh, a week or two ago for another important issue that we have uh, coming up. And, um, yeah, I think they, they even uh, set up some photos uh, for us. So uh, stay tuned. Uh, but, yeah, nevertheless, Moxley is the top of this year's PWI 500. Tons of coverage. I think it's like 70 plus, uh, 80 plus pages uh, of just PWI 500 coverage uh, in here. You're talking uh, the definitive ranking of the 500 best wrestlers uh, in the world. And um, it's not something we take lightly. I know there's always all kinds of debate and flack about how uh, this list is put together. There is absolutely a, a, a lot of thought and a lot of work that goes into it. We're very proud of it. Um, certainly very proud of this year's issue, uh, and you don't want to miss it. Um, I, I went to Walmart the other day, and it was on the newsstand. So uh, if you can find it there, by all means. Uh, if not, go to pwi-online.com and order it. Have it delivered right to your mailbox or download the digital edition uh, right away. Uh, if you want more savings, uh, the thing to do absolutely is to subscribe. Uh, subscribe and save half off uh, the cover price. Uh, we've got... 
Uh, again, I always say this is our, our busy season. We go from the 500 to the women's 100. We've got our uh, achievement awards obviously coming at uh, the end of the year. And in between there, we've got something uh, new. I don't think I'm uh, at liberty to talk about it uh, just yet, but something that we just got working on that uh, is really, really fun. Something I've wanted to do for a long time. Uh, maybe a sort of trilogy of sorts, uh, complementing the PWI 500 and the women's 100. Uh, so stay tuned. Uh, and again, if you don't want to miss that issue or any of them, go to pwi-online.com. Uh, while you're there, subscribe to the PWI Weekly, which is a f completely free weekly newsletter uh, that Kevin puts together, a throwback to the old uh, mail-out PWI uh, weekly with uh, current events and some other fun stuff, some classic photos. Uh, so you get that completely free. You could also subscribe to our podcast. You can listen to it right there on the website um, or subscribe to it wherever you uh, get your podcast and kindly leave us a positive review. We appreciate it. You can pick up the PWI t-shirt or t-shirts. We've got several of them now, including some PWI 500 t-shirts at prowrestlingtees.com. Uh, follow us on social media. Uh, at official PWI on Instagram and on Twitter. We're also on Facebook. You can find us on YouTube, uh, all that jazz. And you can uh, send us an email at podcast at outlook.com or PWI at kappapublishing.com with all your uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated related questions, concerns, all that stuff. Uh, okay, that's out of the way. Um, for once, I think we've got some some positive uh, stuff to talk about with, with WWE. Uh, it's been a couple weeks now uh, since Clash of Champions. Well, I guess a week and change. Um, sure. And uh, we saw more of the fallout on, on Friday night with um, Roman Reigns and Jey Uso, their feud kind of continuing. Uh, I said it on Twitter when I was uh, live tweeting the event. To me, this is easily the best WWE main event angle world title program of 2020. And I think you probably got to go back even further than that. I loved, loved, loved um, both the build up to Clash of Champions. I love the execution of uh, the main event of Clash of Champions with Jey Uso and Roman Reigns. I love what they're, they're doing with Roman Reigns. I love what they're doing with the Usos. Uh, this whole storyline is just about perfection. Yeah. And I would say that, um, I agree about the match. I, I was not really sold on it beforehand. I mean, the the buildup has been was good, but just the the, the whole premise of the match, I, I remember thinking, oh my god, this is sort of like okay, Roman Reigns versus one of the Usos. I know they're trying to dress it up and all this stuff, and it's the family, but I still couldn't get it out of my head. It's Roman Reigns versus a tag team guy, you know. But but the match just completely proved me wrong. I mean, I was not ready for that. And I mean, I don't think it's, it's overstating it. You know, a lot of people were saying this online. I would say it was the best overall match or performance that Roman Reigns has that I have ever seen him involved in. I would go that far. Yeah, it was, it was masterful. And I think the other thing was great about it was they actually used the, um, you know, the, the crowd issues, the, you know, the crowd noise problem to their advantage in the sense that if this was any other match in front of, you know, a, a giant packed house, you would not really be able to hear all the verbal exchanges that were going yes. on. And I thought that they really played that up well. It didn't come off forced or 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 just cringy. It was it was perfect. Like it really so it heightened the drama. I, I found it very believable. It totally 
added another level to that match and uh, really sold it. I mean, and I think in the process, this combined with him beating AJ Styles, um, uh, talking about uh, Uso, is that, you know, I think you've got another big singles breakout star here in the process, even even though he lost the match. Yeah, I, I half worry about Jimmy coming back, you know, uh, right. and, and, you know, I, I, I don't think they were planning for that. I do think that this was just meant as kind of a transition to kind of help establish uh, Roman as a heel and and create the story, this character of the tribal chief, the head of the table. Um, and Jey Uso was playing a part in that, an important part of that. But I think uh, along the way, he's done such a great job. Uh, I said, I, I think he might be the best promo in WWE right now. And the the reason for that is that he feels authentic. You know, yeah. I think back to, you know, take your pick, PN News or, uh, you know, how how many times over the years has WWE, uh, and that wasn't WWE, but, but pro wrestling uh, tried to capture sort of uh, uh, youth culture, uh, uh, urban culture and and never been able to do it because it it never was authentic and never came naturally uh, in in Jey Uso really both of them for a while they've they've carried this legitimacy of themselves right you know the the Uso penitentiary but it was a little put on it was a little too over the top seeing Jey Uso just kind of be himself but talk the way he talks dress the way he dresses um, and and I think he's in his 30s but he feels more sort of relevant and youthful than almost anybody in that company right now. Uh, it just really comes off uh, natural, honest. Again, I keep on going back to, to authentic. I loved in that that go-home episode uh, of SmackDown where, again, it's one of those times where I wish there was a crowd there where uh, uh, Roman did a great job telling yeah, – uh, we talk about this a lot, but but my threshold for something really being special is calling the wife and kids in to see this, <laughs> and I did that. And uh, Roman explained to him, you know, very condescending, putting over how you're a great tag team wrestler. The family is so proud of you, but come on. You're, you're never going to be me, right? You're never going to be uh, the top guy. And, and Jay's rebuttal where he talks about how – uh, you know, when people see you, everybody says the big dog, the champ, Mr. WrestleMania. Uh, when they see me, you know what they say, you know, which one are you? And I thought that was just so great, delivered so well. I, I wish there was a crowd there to respond to it. Uh, but just a, a really old school, great wrestling angle. Um, I, I love the way they built it, built it up over weeks where they had them tag up and they you did get an appreciation that, you know, they really are family. The video packages with Rikishi and the Samoans and the childhood pictures. It, I mean, it, they put this thing together in like three weeks and just did a masterful job of it. This is the kind of storytelling that WWE used to do 20 and 30 years ago, building up to uh, a WrestleMania. And, and I think of like Brett and Owen Hart and stuff like that. Um, it, it's, it was that well done. And... Um, absolutely was the the picture perfect way to uh kind of complete this transformation of roman reigns because as much as um everybody myself included have wanting to have wanted to see him play the heel role for a while and from day one that he started it he, he was already better as a baby face um it, it was missing a little bit of an explanation of why you know what what's changed why all of a sudden the attitude and i think this whole storyline um you know kind of uh, let them cross that bridge and, and tell that story of, of what's going on with him 
and heavy is the head that wears the crown. And I, I love the verbiage of him talking about, I'm not just supporting my family, I'm supporting your family. Um, right. the, the kind of arrogance, but also honesty. Uh, just, I, I, I can't put this over, you know. Well, uh, personal issues, that's really what it's at. I mean, personal yeah. issues are what sells. And for too long, we've gotten caught up in all these kind of angles and storylines that are a little, it almost feels like a little too inside baseball. It's like, it all, it all goes back to like the NWO and the Austin McMahon thing where every storyline is about con- authority figures and, and, and control of the business and all this kind of thing. And whatever happened to people having personal gripes with each other, you know, that's what people care about. That's something you can get your arms around because you can relate to it. And, 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 you know, this, this was really, really well done. And, and I have to say the match itself, and I tweeted something about this, is just such a great example of how you could have a great match that's great in a different way. You know, it, it tells a great story and it's different. Not every match. I, I think, you know, it, it goes back to kind of like the Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels era. Not every match has to be this 30 minute like back and forth incredible, you know, athleticism, uh, you know, telling the same exact story every time you can have a match where one guy is, is an underdog and he's being dominated in a main event. You know, I thought that's why the Cena Brock Lesnar match from SummerSlam a few years ago made such a huge impact because it was different and it told a different kind of story. This is like, this is like a match of the year kind of match, but for a different reason, it, it was really all about the story that it was telling rather than the moves or who did what, you know, who executed what it was the drama of the match that really sold it. And, and it all made sense, right? I mean, Roman should dominate, uh, uh, Jey Uso, you know, and, 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 uh, I, I like, like you said that, that they, they had him beat AJ, um, a week later, but you get a sense that he's still on the come up, right? But he's certainly not on, on Roman Reigns level. He's getting better. He's getting that comfort zone as a singles, uh, a star, uh, but but yeah, he's not Roman Reigns, uh, but he had that heart that he would not go down uh, no matter what, even when he was getting absolutely pummeled and he would not say what Roman wanted to hear, which was acknowledge that he was uh, uh, the tribal chief. Um, and then the outcomes, you know, his his twin brother limping around, throws in the towel, um, you know, uh, concedes. Yes, you are the tribal chief. Is that what you want to hear? Just, I mean, fantastic, fantastic. Yeah. I was. Uh, it, it's the best bit of storytelling out of WWE. And and now talking this through with you, I can't even remember. I mean, I think you really would have to go back years for for storyline this good. It would it would have to go back years. Like like when you first said it, I thought about lesnar and john cena but that really wasn't it was more the match even than the build or the angle around it the match was just so shocking i wouldn't even if you press me i wouldn't be able to say right away i'd really have to think about it when it really was i mean (laughs) i'll give you one that that i liked a lot Uh, i liked the build up a lot but i didn't like the execution and it's kind of a weird one uh but it was um the miz and john cena uh, at WrestleMania, what was that? Twenty, I think. No, the the one in uh, Orlando a few years back, where their the wives were, or the girlfriend slash wives were all the one where they teamed up, and it was John and, and Nikki versus. Uh, oh, right. Yes. Yeah. I really liked um, at least the 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 build up. The, there were some great promos, reality based. Miz did a really good job, um, but it kind of fell apart. You know, at the end of the day, the match was really nothing um, other than the uh, 
the proposal and <laughs> that didn't work out too well either. Um, but they did their best to dress it up, you know, yes. there was like so much. This is better. You this have to get better. the job done when the bell rings too. You yeah. Know? Yeah. There's so much you could do there. This storyline is better, but you know, it's interesting. You talk about, you know, how, how far back you have to look for another, a great angle. There's another one going on right now in, in Sasha and uh, Bailey. So um, it, and, and both uh, on SmackDown, it it's interesting, you know, that the two of the best storylines that we've seen in a long time are happening at the same time on the same show. Um, what is that? It, it, I mean, is that Bruce Pritchard? I don't know. I mean, uh, he, he, yeah, I think so. Yeah. But something's going on right uh, over there. You know, Bruce Pritchard, uh, I, I listen. I'm not the biggest fan, but I I, uh, I listen to this podcast, especially stuff that's kind of goes back to, um, you know, early 90s stuff. And he was very much uh, a, a critical piece of, of that era. He was Vince McMahon's right-hand uh, man, very uh, involved in creative, and uh, maybe bring some of those uh, sensibilities. You know, I think he also has a reputation for for being kind of a yes man, but a good yes man knows how to bring forth uh, some great ideas and uh, let somebody else have the credit for it, you know. Uh, <laughs> And yeah. so we might be seeing some of that, you know, um, but but yeah, I think both uh, Jay uh, Uso and Roman Reigns and, and Bailey and Sasha are some of the best storytelling we've seen in a long time. Uh, so wh- where is Jay Uso and, and Roman Reigns going? Clearly, you would think that that the climax of the story about who is the head of the table, who is the tribal chief, um, you know, maybe it's just fantasy, but but you would love to see The Rock get involved at some point, right? And there have been some exchanges. The Rock has shown an interest, at least, in working with his cousin. And man, I mean, th- this buildup, starting now with the, the, the Jey Uso storyline, you know, maybe they do something with Jimmy Uso. I don't know who else you could bring in. I mean, but, but you can do something, tell the story for months that Roman Reigns is out of control uh, and and just power hungry within this this gr- great wrestling family and this lineage, and he's just making a, a kind of a disgrace of it. And who comes in to uh, to save the day and save the family? But uh, cousin Dwayne. I will say that um, I know. I mean, it's got to be their their fantasy WrestleMania main event. And the fact that what tipped it off to me that there might actually be a chance of them pulling this off is the fact that they're giving Jay a second match. And let, let me explain what I mean by that. So when they first had the, the initial match uh, with Jay Uso versus uh, Roman Reigns, I kind of thought, okay, it's a one-off. It's meant to make Roman Reigns look unbeatable and look strong. And, and then Jay Uso is going to go back to being in the Usos. And they're just going to move on to the next you know, Roman Reigns angle. But the fact that they're now giving him a second main event and a hell in a cell, no less, with Jay Uso, of all people, you know, on a pay-per-view, it, it just tells me that there's more in their mind, there's more legs to this family feud. And it's obviously got to be going. I mean, you never know with these folks, but it's got to be going somewhere beyond Jay Uso that they're they're pumping the hell out of this thing so that once he finally does get past Jay Uso, there's going to be something else after that. That's infinitely bigger, and that could very well be The Rock. Yeah. H- have they established that the match at Hell in a Cell is a Hell in a Cell match? Oh, you know what? I might be jumping the gun on that. I guess I, I just kind of— I don't know if they made that clear. I mean, 
I think it'd be fine if it was, you know, it's certainly personal enough. You know, what, one of my gripes with, with the pay-per-view is that, um, you know, Hell in a Cell used to be reserved for, for kind of the hottest feuds. Uh, the, and, and in the last few years, it's just whatever they've got going on in October ends up in, in a cell. But right. this feel, certainly feels like it's it's reached that threshold uh, and gotten personal enough that a Hell in a Cell uh, would fit. And it also you know, keep the family outside and, and any kind of interference. So it's kind of tailor-made for that. And I'm going to say the same thing. It's another one of my favorite uh, ideas to keep going back to is the one thing that would have made this even better than it was, was a little blood. <laughs> that match yes. needs blood. And yeah, can you imagine? Yeah. 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 That, 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 that image of, of uh, Roman just pummeling, uh, you know, I, I think that same night, ironically, I was watching with with my buddy and uh, Rocky Four came on uh, afterwards and uh, my absolute favorite movie of all time, Rocky Four, unequivocally. And uh, that scene of, of Drago just pummeling uh, Apollo and, and Rocky holding the ta- towel in his hand, um, you know, it was very reminiscent of that. And, and yeah, a little a little blood or maybe a lot of blood would have gone a, a long way there um, if they they. Did you know somebody posted a shot for shot thing actually showing that even some of the angles and like the shot compositions from Rocky four were, were copied were, were oh, like, really? on purpose. Like, or not. Watching it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, if, if they do go that route of, of uh, you know, if where this ends up is the rock versus Roman Reigns, uh, presumably at WrestleMania, how do you book that? Um, you know, people are going to want to see the rock win, but are you, are you really going to cut the legs off of, of Roman Reigns? I can't imagine. I mean, he, he'd, he'd be as hot as he'd ever been. Um, but, you know, do you end WrestleMania with an unhappy ending of, you know, Roman Reigns? conquering his his big famous uh, i'm sure the rock would want to put him over right uh, but but uh, you know it's a it's a little tricky do, do you think that's it you have you have reigns beat him and move on to the next guy i think that you know <laughs> it, it's tough because you, you think well the traditional way to book it and what's the way wwe would book it you know any kind of long time observer will look at that situation to go well how could you have the rock Go over, you know, you're the guy you're building to be your top, top heel who's got to keep earning money for you and keep going. And then The Rock just leaves and goes back to Hollywood. And now you're stuck with this guy that got beat in the main event of WrestleMania. And, you know, I, I, I think I think the way to go, especially The Rock now, you know, he's getting up there in years. I think he's in that spot where it's like a pass the torch kind of thing where I think he really should put over Roman Reigns and put him over strong now. Obviously, you know, okay, so you don't end WrestleMania that way. You have another match end the show, you know, to, to, to give the happy ending. But I really think that's the smart way to go is have Roman Reigns come out of that match as the guy who destroyed The Rock. Uh, I think it's okay to end WrestleMania like that. I mean, they have had the occasional heel uh, win at the end of WrestleMania. And if you're ever going to do it, uh, this would be where you do it. I, I agree. I think you have Roman beat him clean in the middle. I think you have um, The Rock. Uh, raise his hand, give him a hug at the end of the match. We're not turning, you know, make it clear that this is not a turn for Roman. He is still a jerk and still big headed. Uh, but I think you have that, that kind of real moment uh, for, for the family, for uh, the, the, the history there and make it clear that this is kind of a, a passing of, of the torch. And then you really got to kind of get working on, you know, when, when 
the, the thing with Roman being a heel, and not just a heel, but the heel, kind of almost taking over for for Brock Lesnar, you know, certainly the case with with you know Paul Heyman uh, at his side. All those years that that Brock was here and was the man, it was uh, this build up to who would be the one to finally uh, conquer him. And a few people were kind of put in that role over the years, um, you know, with various levels of success. Ultimately, Drew McIntyre is the one who who put him out. But then you got to get working on who is that guy for Roman Reigns. Right. So um, I don't know that you need to identify him right now, uh, but but. It, when you have that that next hot star, that's where this should go. Is uh, uh, Roman and whoever that, maybe it's Drew McIntyre. I don't I don't know who it might be, but um, maybe that's WrestleMania 30, whatever the heck, uh, year after next. <clears throat> um, uh, on that topic, uh, uh, we haven't talked uh, that much in the last few weeks about um, the coronavirus and wrestling in, in the coronavirus. Some news uh, comes out uh, this week. I don't think WWE has confirmed it, but there are at least reports that they're looking to to, to put WrestleMania uh, back in Tampa uh, next year. Originally, it was supposed to be in, in Hollywood, but you know it doesn't seem like California is going to be ready for that kind of event. I don't know if any place in the country is going to be ready, except maybe Florida. <laughs> Um, uh, for for that kind of event and 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 you know I wrote about in in the uh, the magazine that's coming out is Florida really is like they're they're so wrestling friendly they're wrestling promoters uh, a dream right now and I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing but WWE seems to think that um, they can go ahead with with something resembling WrestleMania uh, in Florida next year that's what the reports are presumably it would be with some with fans in the building. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, do, do you think it's possible that between now and, and April w- they can put on something again, resembling WrestleMania? So you're asking me to predict the development <laughs> of COVID-19 in America <laughs> and what it's going to look like in the spring. I'm flattered yeah. really that you would think <laughs> that I would be able to, you know, I mean, I, who, the thing is, this is changing so much. We all said, remember when everybody said, oh, this will be all set by May, by by, by Memorial Day, we won't even be thinking about this. So, I mean, now I'm in the point, a position where I'm thinking, I don't know if I could picture even by then yeah. things being totally back to normal. Now, the fact that they're doing, you know, small groups of audience members and things like that. So tells me, you know, maybe they, there could be some fan presence there. I don't think they're going to be booking a stadium. I think that would be madness. Maybe like a small live venue kind of thing where it's like a more it's not empty like last time, but it's a more kind of intimate feeling WrestleMania. I don't know. That's kind of a progression from last year, but there's no way this magically goes back to, you know, the Pontiac Silverdome in a few months. It's just no way. But maybe a stadium is the way to go uh, be- because of that. I mean, if the the idea there's obviously the benefit of it being outdoors, uh, it would be easier to socially distance uh, fans. It, you know, the the bigger the the arena, the bigger the venue, the more folks you could put in it. Uh, so if if you were to do something like in the uh, the Amway Arena where they do the Thunderdome, uh, and that seats twenty thousand plus it's I don't know if it's twenty thousand. Let's say it's a neighborhood of twenty thousand plus it's indoors. I, I mean, could you put 5,000 fans in there? Um, I don't know. Uh, but if you're in a venue that holds 50,000 fans uh, or 70,000 fans and it's outdoors, 
you know, maybe you could get 10,000 fans in there and 10,000 fans will make some noise. You know, um, I, 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 I'm certainly not endorsing it, but but I could see WWE wanting to do it. And beyond that, beyond just the the optics of uh, a crowd, you could do pyro, you could do giant sets, you could do um, it, it could look like WrestleMania uh, for everything but the the absolutely packed um, stadium. So uh, I could I could see that. Uh, and and uh, certainly, if you were going to do it anywhere, Florida seems to be the place uh, to do it because um, they've they've got a, a governor there who's made it clear that that he wants business uh, up and running in in his state. Um, so yeah, I could see that. And then there's also the issue of do they kind of owe Tampa? You know, they uh, they they never got the WrestleMania that they bargained for, so um, you kind of make good on this one. I guess I don't know. When's the last time that that business ever guided the decisions that they make there? I don't know. Like who's owed what? Yeah. But, I mean, I I hear what you're saying, but I just can't. I just uh, I don't know. I, I I still think a smaller, more intimate setting, a different look to WrestleMania rather than just doing it the way you were going to do it anyway, with just kind of a smattering of people. I feel like that would just accentuate and add and stress the fact that there's nobody there. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I don't yeah. Know. The other little bit of news coming out, I guess, related to the, the pandemic was, um, I don't know if you call it an outbreak, a cluster. I mean, there, there were uh, some reports of numerous cases coming out of uh, WWE in, in recent weeks, uh, a lot of speculation about whether maybe they've, they've relaxed, protocols too much whether they're they're you know and this isn't a story that is really unique to wwe or even to wrestling it, it we're seeing it across the country um you know have they they've taken their foot off the gas um what what have you thought from what you you've seen and i guess you can only take so much from from television uh but but does it feel to you that uh, and maybe i'll ask you about both wwe and AEW that there are any more or any less serious about this than they were uh, some months ago? Well, like we've said before, you know, these these are companies, specifically WWE, but I think it's just a wrestling promoter philosophy, too. Of They're not going to do anything unless they're forced to do it. And it's always the attitude of we know better. We're just going to barrel through, do it the way we were going to do it. And, we, you know, we're an exception to the rule and we're exceptional and all this kind of thing. And so I think it's very natural for them to sort of be reverting or sliding back because I have to say, I've, I mean, I've seen a lot of things that that made me scratch my head. I mean, at the NXT show um, last night, I mean, people, have, you know, they have the big opening shot where you've got this weird mix of the Thunderdome and live people. They've all got masks on. And then, you know, in the within the first match, everybody had their masks off, you know. Yeah. So it just... Uh, it, it does make me feel like, you know, hey, there's a reason why we're the only major first world country that's still struggling yeah. in this way with this thing. And you and as a wrestling fan, you see it play out. It's just so easy for people to slide back, not stay the course, not not follow through. You know, we're probably doing across all you know endeavors and wrestling included. We're, we're, we're crossing lines that we shouldn't be crossing because we're just tired of doing it. It's just human nature. Yeah, yeah. The the one thing I saw recently that um, kind of caught my attention, uh, and this actually goes back to WrestleMania weekend, uh, but but you remember at the time when they they first started running out of the performance center, what we were hearing was that that outside of what we saw on TV, 
Uh, everybody was taking protocols. Nobody would be backstage. Everybody, you know, I guess the stories were like they were in their car until it was uh, their match. And then they'd come into the building and be masked up until they come out uh, uh, in in on stage. Uh, and they had uh, one of these documentaries on the network some weeks back. It might have been right after SummerSlam or uh, I'm not sure. Um, and it was documenting WrestleMania. Uh, one of those 24 documentaries, and, and they had all this backstage footage, and this was the height of the pandemic, right? You're talking early April, um, when at least here in New York, uh, 500 people were dying just in New York uh, uh, every day, and thousands uh, across the country, and what I saw in their documentary was pretty business as usual. You saw wrestlers hanging out backstage, arm, you know, shoulder to shoulder, hugging, speaking in close uh, contact, no masks, nothing like that. Granted, we didn't know as much then as we do know now about masks, and even CDC was putting out um, kind of conflicting information. Uh, but it didn't sense at least, and this is behind-the-scenes footage, and behind-the-scenes footage that they okayed um, going out there, it didn't seem to me lo- uh, like they were taking um, all the necessary protocols. Uh, you know, how much has changed since then? Who knows? You know, the stories keep on uh, popping up about uh, we know AJ Styles acknowledged that that he tested positive, um, I guess, shortly after WrestleMania, sometime after WrestleMania. Um, we know various wrestlers who have been advertised for matches on pay-per-view have uh, have not wrestled. And uh, they said it's for medical reasons. So, um, yeah, you know, I, 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 there's. It, it does seem like uh, they they probably could tighten things up a little bit uh, over there and uh, AEW as well. You know, not to give them a pass. You know, they they've let fans back in the building already, uh, yeah. so uh, that that's concerning as well. So that was surprising because they started out really being more proactive and seemed to be more conscious about it. Actually, allowing people to mention it on the air as if it truly exists and not just pretend that it that it's not real. You know, I mean, they really seem to be uh, going down the right path with that. But, yeah, I mean, they're slipping, too. It's the same yeah. thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it 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 does seem like wrestling is, is I don't want to say all the way back, but a lot of the way back. I mean, even the last uh, of, of the companies that were shut down, Ring of Honor, they're back up and running. No fans. Uh, uh, New Japan, you know, the middle of the G1 Climax tournament with fans in, in the stands. Uh, so... You know, meanwhile, uh, here in New York, they just announced that a lot of schools that that opened up are closing back uh, down again. And and in New York, we're we're still under two percent the the positive rate. I think we're around one point uh, four or so. Um, so it does feel like, you know, and we've we've heard a lot about the uh, the second wave and that it would come in the, the fall or the winter. And um, there's some indications that it started already. So who knows? You know, who knows whether uh it, and and now knowing um, what we know about um, this virus, you wonder if it got as bad as it was in um, the spring, whether you could even do what they were doing, which is, you know, putting on these shows in front of no fans. At that point, would it even be too dangerous to have wrestlers wrestling each other? You know, not now knowing what we know. Some might argue that the only safe thing to do would be completely to shut down. And uh, I just can you imagine that happening? No, I mean, you know, 
I, I take a really hard line on this stuff, like because I'm an educator. I'm not in the classroom at the moment. Uh, and uh, be honest, I'm not in any hurry to get back in one. And I'm one of these people that is saying, you know, why don't like this is a serious once in a like century thing. I think it warrants just saying, hey, kids, you're not going back to school till next year. And you're going to be 19 years old when you graduate high school. And that's just <laughs> too bad. But this is an extremely serious situation. And that's that. Like, like that's where I'm at. So, so if I feel like they should be doing that with the schools, you better believe I feel like they should be doing it with wrestling. I mean, I'm watching it. I'm commenting on it. But, yeah, just it still feels irresponsible, I have to say. It, yeah, I, I mean, putting aside uh, uh, my, my views on any of this, um, I, I would think that anybody who – any science uh, – any scientists who would look at it – would see the the act of professional wrestling. I just can't imagine almost a short of maybe porn star <laughs> any other occupation that would be more risky um, for uh, transmitting the virus from one person uh, to another. When you're talking about two uh, shirtless, you know, half naked, more than half naked uh, people just grinding and sweating all over each other and you're getting me a little contact. <laughs> settle down okay <laughs> it, it it really is uh and and granted you can minimize uh, uh fans being in there and you can have ring crew uh masked up but uh, i think it's as simple as if a wrestler has it and wrestles another wrestler that other wrestler is getting it right i mean um yes, you, safe to say. <laughs> yeah i can't imagine that i mean you you, you see uh, uh just the news coming out last week of uh, president trump of testing positive and then uh, there's all these images of uh events leading up to to that the 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 uh, the ceremony with the supreme court uh a candidate and you see them inside and people just kind of mingling uh some at a safe distance some not, and um, how many people tested positive after that? And it's remarkable, you know, it's several. And that's just, you know, dressed people talking. <laughs> um, and and uh, yeah, think about a tag team match. Think about, you know, battle royals that, that we've seen a fair number of in, in recent weeks. It's like, goodness, if one person has it, you'd think everybody in that ring is, is going to get it. So Yeah, and I think it's been, they've been, for all the cases we've seen and the little mini outbreaks here and there, uh, it's it's a it's almost like a miracle compared to what could be happening. Yeah, yeah, but wrestling is yeah uniquely uh, problematic, and and uh, we'll see. Hopefully, it, it we we don't return to where we were in the spring, and um, people do the the safe, responsible thing. Uh, all right, Brian, thanks so much. I appreciate uh, as always uh, you chiming in here. A fun conversation. Uh, we'll do it again in uh, a week or two. Uh, right now, let's hear from former WCW Cruiserweight champion, former U.S. champion, and uh, most notably, former PWI 500 number one ranked wrestler back in 1997, uh, the one and only, the Iceman, Dean Malenko. All right. Well, uh, thanks again, uh, Dean, for, for doing this. As, as I was saying, uh, since we started this podcast, you've been uh, near the top of the wish list for guests just because uh, for, for all your career accomplishments – here at Pro Wrestling Illustrated, you hold this kind of mytho- mythologi- mythological um, kind of reputation for being, uh, I think, fair to say, our most controversial 
number one pick for the PWI 500 back in 1997. It comes up every year when we put together the PWI 500, the year that we picked uh, uh, Dean Malenko. So uh, it'd be a lot of fun to talk to you about it. So why don't we just go back to that year and understanding that, you know, the, the magazine, magazines uh, meant something differently then than now. Um, but what, what do you remember about hearing that you were picked number one what was your reaction? Maybe what was some of the reaction of folks in the locker room, that kind of thing? Yeah, some of the guys, some of the guys <clears throat> ripped me a little bit about it. But the, the funny backstory about the whole thing was that uh, Bill Lapter was the one who called me and told me originally. And as gracious as Bill would be, in not so many words, basically put over the fact that there wasn't a whole lot going on in the year. <laughs> Nobody really kind of shined. So uh, I, I took the trophy as being number one which really made my, my heart even pound even more about Bill saying that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's still, you know, I mean, it's 500 guys out there and more even guys than that at that time. And, uh, it's, it's still fun and, you know, fun to look, look back. And, you know, I still got the magazine up in my office here. And, um, you know, something you can always look back and say back in 1997, I was the best. Yeah. And do you remember at the time, and maybe even now, did, did you agree? Did you feel like you were the best uh, for that stretch from 1996? No, I don't. I, you know, I never got in business for accolades or a pat on the back. It was always just for, you know, it's my, my dad was in the business and it was kind of a, a next step for me and something I enjoyed doing and, and enjoyed the wrestling aspect of it. And, you know, made a lot of really good friends, got to travel the world for it. Um, never really took any of that kind of stuff real serious, though. Yeah. Do you, you mentioned uh, uh, some ribbing, uh, anything in particular, or was it kind of fun, uh, good-natured, uh, that kind of thing? Did you sense any resentment from from other people that maybe thought they should have been in the mix? No, not at all. Guys kept pretty quiet back then, back in those days. The other thing I did try to do, I tried to use that towards my advantage, like trying to get 20% off the movies or, you know, 20% off the movie theater, but none of that worked for some reason. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you, do you um, – did it help you in, in any way? And again, understanding that, that back then uh, the, the magazines did hold a different position and, and certainly independent wrestlers over the years have tried to use their ranking to maybe improve their position uh, with promoters, with bookers, that kind of thing. Some maybe take it too seriously. We've heard stories of the years about people getting ring jackets made up with, with their rankings. But in, in you, in uh, uh, WCW in 1997, a very political locker room, did it help you make the case that, hey, maybe I, I deserve more recognition and respect here than I'm getting? I think it would have been more respect from a standpoint of if it was the fans out there that voted on it. And then I could see a promoter going, hey, maybe this guy's worth something because there's people out there looking at him. But because uh, it was in an in-house vote, I'm assuming, that uh, plays a little different. Did that maybe work against you in, in that it's like, oh, what are these, uh, I don't know, they called us dirt sheet writers at the time, but what, what do these magazine writers know about any of this? Not really. You know, he's got their own opinion on things. And, um, you know, if that was their opinion back in, back in the day. And, um, you know, again, I don't, I don't uh, <clears throat> hold that too close to me and, and make a big deal about it. Yeah. What, what's interesting about you being number one in that particular year is that it was one of the most um, competitive years in wrestling uh, ever. I mean, it was the height of uh, the, the Monday Night War, and you're talking Steve Austin uh, coming up and The Rock and over on 
uh, your guy's side, you had the NWO running hot and uh, Hulk Hogan and all these huge, huge stars. Uh, the Giant, I remember, was really big at the time. Sting uh, was coming on. And uh, did, did you feel that competitive pressure uh, surrounded by all these stars to really make a name for yourself and, and kind of find a way to shine among all that? Not from really that standpoint, more from a locker room standpoint, as far as, you know, back in the day when, when the cruiserweights and all that. And got, you know, so many talents through the years have kind of shunned away from like, you know, please don't call me a cruiserweight or I don't want to be part of the cruiserweight. And I, I was proud of it. I was proud of what we did and what we accomplished in WCW with the my peers and the guys that I got a chance to wrestle with. And that's where the competition was to me more so than anything was, you know, guys like myself and Eddie and Jericho and Rey Mysterio, Juventud Guerrero, Billy Kidman, list goes on and on. I mean, we, we were the guys going out there every night and trying to have the best matches. And that's where the real competition was, not so much from a magazine standpoint. Yeah. I remember the, the reputation for, for WCW at the time was uh, these amazing undercards, I think largely carried by, by the cruiserweights, and then the star-studded main event that really kind of fell flat when, in terms of the execution um, b- because they were bigger guys. They were older guys, not necessarily the most, ath- most athletic and, and sometimes the most motivated guys. And then WWE was almost the, the reverse where their, their uh, undercard was kind of stale sometimes, but you had those hot main events with The Rock and Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels. Um, did, did you accept that as your position? Like, you know, we're here to kind of get the crowd going um, early on the show and then hand it over to, to the big stars in the main event? Not really. I never felt that, you know, as a, as a wrestler, anybody that has a job, your job entails doing what you, you're told to do and go out there to your best of your ability. And I, you know, I took it sometimes as a, uh, personally a little bit from a standpoint of that, uh, you know, I want to go out on the best match of the night. Uh, but that's just the nature of our business from a competitive standpoint. Everybody wants to go out there and be told they have the best match of the night. And uh, the guy, guys that kind of hung out in my circle were all the same um, same uh, thought process going out every night and having a real match and just enjoying uh, what we do. Yeah. How, how much do you credit Eric Bischoff for that? Um, or, or maybe I should ask you, how much do you think the cruiserweights are a part of Eric's uh, legacy. I know he returned recently to to the locker room there. I don't know if you got to interact with him uh, at all, but but a, a guy who is a very polarizing figure and a lot of people give credit to for the Monday Night Wars and and the vision they had for, for Nitro, but people also uh, criticize him for for a lot of things. But um, that cruiserweight division uh, is, is it fair to say that you know that was his baby, his idea? Losing a little bit. Well, I'll just ask you, how much credit does Eric deserve for the cruiserweight division and, and that being an important part well, of the CW in your era? Well, one, he, he, he let it happen, so yeah, i got to give, give him that credit. Um, that, was, that was so totally different and so new to the wrestling audience back, back then. I've you know, never seen the cruiserweights from that standpoint. When you look back at the list of guys, from, you know, we had guys from Europe, guys from Japan, guys from Mexico. There was really a wide variety, international flavor to it. Uh, when I finally won the title, and we had Ray Mysterio come in, the first time I ever wrestled Ray was at the Great American Bash. He didn't even know it was going to be a pay per view. He just thought he was just wrestling that night, somebody. But again, there, there's a guy that you know we never got to see before ever in the in the public eye, 
That was the first time I got to see a guy that like Ray Mysterio. And there were so many great matchups. And, um, you know, I think Eric should get credit from a standpoint of he went out there and, and took a chance on it because it was never done to that magnitude before ever in the, in the business. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting. In, in the last few years, a lot of stories have come out about um, about you, and, and certainly since you joined AEW, and how funny a guy you are, how much personality is there. And I think people who who watched you in WCW would be surprised to hear that. I mean, they saw this guy who was kind of dry, the Iceman, um, all of that. Uh, wh- why did we not see that personality? What was it that you felt that that wasn't your role, that your role in the Cruiserweights was really putting on these athletic matches and you leave the sports entertainment and the character work and all that stuff to, to somebody else. I guess, I guess growing up, you know, I wrestled amateur when I was eight years old to about 12, AU junior Olympic uh, freestyle Greco Roman tournaments. And then I started wrestling in high school, a bad neck uh, surgery, my junior year, my, the end of my sophomore year. So wrestling at that, but I was always very serious and diligent when it came to, uh, practicing in the holds, learning the moves, uh, amateur and pro. And one of the reasons I did turn professional at that time is because my amateur career kind of went south a little bit due to my neck injury. And I, I just love the art of wrestling, just mad wrestling. And that's probably you know, when I look back, you know, yeah, I think everybody two sides or two different hats at times. And it was good to keep that thing separate. You know, outside of the ring, I was one person. Inside the ring, I was different. And, but I enjoyed that. I never once sat back and go, you know, if I would, if I'd only been funny, <laughs> yeah. but I only told a joke, I could have been the world champion. I, I never looked at the business like that. I never saw myself going, and I never looked back after 30 some odd years of being in the business going, you know, God, I should have, could have, would have. I wish I could have, should have done that. No, I was happy in doing what I did. And um, that was me in the ring. And the cornball really cemented uh, jokester on the outside. <laughs> the, the opportunities that you did have to to have storylines that that did have um, some some levity, some entertainment. I, I think of your feud with Chris Jericho and you coming out dressed up uh, like Laparca and unmasking. Real memorable angles. Do those stand out for you? I mean, do you look back really fondly on on those times where you able were able to show a dimension beyond what you could do in the ring? Yeah, I had a lot of fun doing that because it was so sixty from what I w- was doing before. You know, like so many uh, the guys today that work in AEW, and well, maybe we can we'll touch on this later. But um, I was a guy that spent 14, 15 years in Japan, and, and finally came over to America, and I, nobody knew who the heck I was. So, and that's another reason why Japan it's totally different. It's very straightforward, uh, very serious wrestling, and so that kind of also molded my personality from being there for fourteen years. So when I came in the states, it was you know. It's kind of a hard habit to break it at that point. But, you know, even when WWE, when I got to do the whole leader story with Matt and Jeff, I had a blast. I mean, that was fun because it was, you know, like the, to your point, I got to do a lot of character stuff and kind of let loose a little bit, let my hair down, whatever hair I had at them. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it was fun. You know, uh, if people didn't like it or whatever, you know, I had fun doing it. Yeah. So so uh, let's talk a bit about you in, in AEW. And uh, again, in this much as I think, and I know you had the run in, in WWE, but most people probably would think of you as a WCW guy. And there are, are clear sort of lines there from the you know WCW Monday Nitro era to AEW Dynamite. 
back on TNT. You've got some familiar faces there, certainly with uh, Tony Schiavone and some others. Um, does it feel like something entirely new, or does some of it feel like you're back in WCW at times? I'll tell you, after about a week or two, and you know, I, I got to sit. We got to sit down one day. It was me, and my and Arn, and Tony, and Jr. and a bunch of guys, some of the production crew there that I remember from WCW. It was almost like going to a high school reunion. <laughs> I, you know, oh, so uh, you married now? You got kids, and you know, I got to see all these guys again. And and there's a there's a trust factor. Um, a lot of people felt very easy because there were so many people that are there walking in the door. You know, with with Chris, of course, my long history with Chris, um, my friendship with Cody, and you know, like I said, you know, with Tony and um, Jim Ross, Arn, and Tully Blanchard, these guys, and it's it's been a lot of fun. Uh, let's talk about Jericho. I mean, it, it is crazy that, you know, 20, whatever, 25 plus years ago, you and him uh, uh, working, having these great matches, a memorable feud. Uh, all these years later, a lot of folks from your generation um, have retired, moved on to something else. And there's Chris Jericho still week in, week out as a star of AEW, looking great. People saying doing some of the best work of his career at uh, 50 years old. Uh, what, what do you make of it? I mean, did, did you see sparks of this when you were working with him as, as a young man all those years ago? He's, no, I'm just teasing. Chris, <laughs> Chris, Chris, Chris works his ass off. He really does. So I just did. Uh, Chris really works his ass off. He, he really does. Uh, he's a go-getter, you know, and it never stops. He's not writing a book. He's playing in a band or he's wrestling or he's doing a podcast. I mean, he's, you know, I really got to tip my hat off to the guy. Yeah, he's very creative, uh, self-relevant in front of the audience. He's one of the rare guys who really understands the audience and what they for and what they want, and then he gives it to them. Yeah. Have you been able to work much with him uh, now? I mean, I, I don't know. I know you're a coach backstage. I don't know if it's a situation where you're assigned to some wrestlers, uh, uh, that kind of thing, but, but have you been able to work with him? Yeah, I work with everybody, but I work with a lot with Chris because trust my judgment on things. If he has a question on something, you know, he knows he can always go to me. Uh, the creative process uh, that we have at AEW is pretty wide open, uh, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. Does uh, I know Chris uh, question whether you really knew a thousand holds. Do you still know all those thousand holds? Um, I actually wanted to come back one day with as an Alzheimer's. Uh, wrestler where i keep forgetting the holds and it's i'm like a man of a thousand and man of 810 man of 640 i thought that'd be great tv (laughs) (laughs) who who are uh uh, the the young guys that you've worked with and uh i mean we know who the stars of AEW now are are there some kind of untapped people who are yet to really um kind of make their arrival that you see something special in this is really, really good talent. I think we've got a really good uh, recipe of different guys from all over the place, different styles, different thought processes. But the one denominator, the one goal of everybody in that company um, is to succeed. They want AEW succeed. It's another place for these guys to work. Um, and a lot of pride in trying to get the AEW name out there. Uh, one guy I've been working with a lot is uh, Darby Allen. Which is, which is funny because talk about two different styles from mine to his on the same uh, page, but uh, thought process and psychology and storytelling we are, and uh, I've been having a lot of fun working with Darby as of late. Yeah, 
You know, one, one thing that I think some folks have criticized uh, about uh, AEW, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on it, is some of the, the physical risks that we see some wrestlers take. And you mentioning Darby Allen, um, you know, he's certainly right up there in terms of a guy who will put his body on the line um, to, to, to innovate in the ring. Uh, how do you feel seeing some of that? I mean, are, are you talking some guys down about it? Hey, maybe you don't want to do that. Maybe that's not the best way to prolong your career. Um, the guys have to be careful. And and a lot of these guys trust themselves and trust the guys that they're working with. Um, I'm a big fan of it, to be honest with you. A lot of stuff these guys do, uh, very scary, very high risk. Um, it's part of my job to try to pull these guys back a little bit. Because uh, there's, you know, for every one move you can do, there's 50 million moves you can do as a substitute. Um, I think Darby's a risk taker. He's he's one of the guys that's not just his character, that's who he is as a person to a certain extent. And so it's hard, it's, hard, it's hard to change people, you know, totally. And and you don't want to because then now you got a whole different product and a whole different person out there. Um, but I think, you know, to your point, some of the stuff that we're doing is a little, to me, a little risky, but... Um, you know, the guys go out there and they're as careful as they can be. Yeah. Um, this is what happened. Uh, uh, so so I, I know certainly us in, in kind of the wrestling media, uh, watching closely the, the TV ratings every week, you know, the Wednesday night war, all that. I know that, I don't know how much it was true, but there was at least the perception that 25 years ago, uh, the wrestlers were doing this also in, in the locker room, the Monday night wars, people every week, uh, you know, who won this week. How much is that going on right now with AEW and NXT? Is it something that's on your radar? Is it on the radar of the men and women uh, in the AEW locker room? Um, I can tell, tell you the biggest difference. And going back from WCW days when the, the things when the war was going on, is that um, we had TVs periodically turned on. That if Eric or somebody walked by the room, it would get turned off. <laughs> but uh, the, the guys were watching the product. I haven't seen a TV or a monitor or an iPad or an iPhone or anybody watching the product during our during our telecast. Interesting. Which which is a which is a nice thing to see because the guys are more worried about what they're doing than somebody else is doing. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, and, and yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I, let me ask you about the, the decision just to come over to AEW. I know you had been in WWE for a number of years. And when you made that move, uh, AEW wasn't even a thing, right? I mean, it was just kind of an idea, but I don't think they even held their first show um, at the time. So it was very much a, a leap of faith, I imagine. Can, can you talk a bit about that? I mean, how much, um, how difficult was it making that decision? Was it maybe not difficult at all? Uh, I've been, you know, I've been really blessed. I've been really, really lucky with uh, doing things from the standpoint of what, what my gut feels as opposed to my brain. My wife will argue that case uh, <laughs> at, at times when myself and three other gentlemen left WCW. I left a lot of money on the table there and didn't have another in front of me. I just kind of took a chance. But I always, I mean, I always had confidence in my work and my ability uh, that I could get a job anywhere, especially back if I ever wanted to. So I always, always had that, always, you know, as far as being an agent or slash producer, whatever we call them, a coach, and working with young talent. And um, I just kind of, you know, looked at it like another challenge in my life and saw an opportunity to get on the ground floor with with the company 
such as AEW and, you know, give them all that I got and help them out in the way they can, especially the young guys and some of the old guys. And, uh, Give me a whole new cast of characters to work with, and it's it's been great, man. I mean, I gotta be honest with you. Yeah, when, this, this last year. Yeah, when when you saw uh, some months ago, you know, so many of those WWE producers being uh, let go or furloughed after they did that kind of house cleaning in the middle of the pandemic, uh, did you feel like maybe you dodged a bullet? Did you wonder if, if you know if you stuck around another year, that might have been you? I know it would have been. Uh, yeah. I probably would have been top of the list. So again, it kind of solidified in my own mind what I did was for the right thing. Yeah. Uh, well, what do you think about you know not necessarily to to criticize anything, but uh, the, the talent that was released from from the producers in WWE uh, as a group, or how much do these guys have to offer the the industry? Mike Rotundo, guys like that. Well, they're all well. They're all my friends. Uh, they're my, you know, comrades and, you know, travel to, we all, tra- all the producers pretty much travel together. Um, and, you know, we're all, all friends and all different. Uh, we're in the same age bracket, uh, young, no. Um, so, you know, of course, hurt by the way, you know, things were laid out at the time when it got let go and released. Um, I still keep in contact with those guys who, again, they'll always be my friend. Um, for whatever happened, you know, I'll, I don't know, but I, I support those guys 100%. How do the, the, the two jobs compare being a, a producer, agent, coach in, in WWE versus AEW? Uh, do you feel that your your skills, what you bring to the table, is more, more valued, valued in AEW than it was in WWE, or vice versa, maybe? Uh, on a personal level, I feel more valued. And that to me is the most important thing that I feel like I'm going to help somebody. And, and somebody um, somebody feels like me being there is, is a good thing. Um, I think the relationship with me and, and, the, uh, and all the guys in the, uh, the soap office. And um, I just love working with the company and love working with Tony and, and Cody and the guys. And, um, I think it's just a good group of guys all all, all around. Yeah. Well, I, I know uh, uh, one of the differences that's talked about a lot between AEW's creative versus WWE is that you don't have all the writers, um, you know, not, not as close scripting as there is in WWE. Does that change your job? Do you feel that, like, with, with that layer of, of the writers removed, um, do you get to be more hands-on? Do you get to have more an influence on what we see on TV? Well, to me, it's more of a relaxed atmosphere for sure. Uh, you know, if, if, I'm, if I myself, not so much myself, but my talent that I'm working, if they want to go out and try something, succeed or fail, um, at least they're going out and trying different things. Um, where, you know, I didn't want to get pigeonholed where I try something and get, because it didn't work. <laughs> you know, where we have we have a very open uh, open door policy as as far as from a creative standpoint where they. Uh, the guys are always coming here again. I'm going to have to bring his name up again, Darby Allen. Mm-hmm. Those short video packages that he does, and Tony just grabs them and, you know, uh, you know creates a character out there and, and Darby, with Darby and his skateboard and him and his persona and what he's about. And, and these guys really get a, to be a part of the creative team. They're just, they're just, they're just not wrestlers. They yeah. get to really mold themselves and, and create themselves and, 
and, and go out and have a lot of fun. And I, and I think that's really a real big plus in the success over the last year for AEW. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I'll wrap up here, but but one uh, going back to PWI uh, 500, uh, whatever that is, 23 years ago, you topped the list. Uh, this year, uh, John Moxley, your your world champion, the first time AEW is at um, the top of the list. Uh, here's a guy who I imagine you worked with a fair amount in WWE uh, and and now in AEW. Uh, did we get this one right? And, and can you talk a bit about you know what what John Moxley brings to the to uh, the business? John's. Uh... John works his butt off. He really does. He's a, he's a hardworking kid. Um, loves business. Um, I'm fine with him being number one. Of course, you got to change the name for him because there's only one Dean, as we know. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, no, I, I enjoy being around John and working with John. Uh, John's so totally more relaxed now than he was in the, in the, in the other uh, atmosphere. Um, uh, definitely a guy that's... Uh, Worthy of uh, being number one on the PWI for sure. Great, great. Well, Dean, thank you so much. I'm glad you you took the time to do this uh, for us. A guy we want to talk to again, a very controversial figure. Not a whole lot of those in PWI, but but you're certainly at the top of uh, of that list. Um, and right. it comes up every year. What were you guys thinking? <laughs> exactly, exactly. What the hell? <laughs> Which I don't think it's meant as as a slide because everybody you know respects the hell out of you. Uh, and you had a hell of a year that year with the cruiserweight title, the U.S. title. Uh, but yeah, in a business where you had Hulk Hogan and and all these uh, huge uh, names at the time, Bret Hart, right. Steve Austin. Yeah, like we're always going to get some. Yeah. Now. <laughs> and, and, they, and they probably they probably felt the same way going back and either hearing about it or reading it. I was just going, how in the hell did Emelanco become the number one guy? <laughs> <laughs> well, I for one am all for it. So thanks so much, Dean. I appreciate you taking the time. No problem. Take no care. problem. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.